You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Hello, welcome to Nick Luck Daily, the show that brings you the latest news and the sharpest insight from around the world of horse racing. It is a new day, Thursday the 27th of January. Tom Stanley in for Nick yet again. He's out at the Pegasus. More from America lately. Uh, We've got a packed show for you and I've got a busy house with work going on and therefore I don't want to talk too much and get any bagging etc in the background and we'll just crack on with the podcast today where we are majoring that is jane mangan and i will hear from her very shortly on this um ongoing weights story and i thought it was about time we heard from one of the parties involved in the discussions the national trainers federation and from their chief executive paul johnson so i started off by asking him uh, two things what exactly their position was and how heavily involved the ntf were in discussions um yeah so let's start with how heavily involved we were um the we were invited to take part in a consultation that was put together by the bha under the consultation agreement that's been agreed by members in recent years. So, um, and it was clearly to discuss what would happen coming out of COVID, um, whether or not we would go back to a world with saunas, whether or not we would um, move away from saunas and what the implications could be for weights in that. Um, which is, that was that was fine and sensible. And um, as far as we were concerned, the consultation was run very well. We were able to input in that and, and we took the position that that it made absolute sense to to look at this and to look at the welfare of jockeys and their well-being in the longer run. But that there were, the consequences of that for weight carried were, were ones that were concerning to us. Um, so that was the position we took that, um, we attempted to reach a compromise through that consultation that uh, bore in mind the well-being of participants and made sure that horses won't continue to carry excess weight. So the the issue um, for you would have been when you, when you talk about weight carried on on a welfare issue in the main was that horses weren't going to to have to carry too much on the the maximum weight scale if you like that's right because obviously we've talked a lot about the minimum weights going up but it's it's all of the weights going up um and so the the maximums have increased too and what we've seen over during covid is horses that are carrying an extra three pounds which is the jockey's allowance and that that weight has obviously gone on top of what they would have normally been carrying was there a number pull that that as far as what you wanted the weights to go up from the ntf's position that you had in mind or were you very open to different numbers being put in front of you well the first thing i should say is i wasn't part of the consultation because i was working for the bha at the time that it took place right um, and i wasn't representing the bha in that consultation either my understanding is that um our starting point was that we felt that three pounds was, was excessive and ultimately we were happy to compromise with that two pounds. Did, did you, as far as you were concerned, um, any discussions about an allowance remaining in place? Did, did you feel that that just wasn't sustainable, um, the notion of an allowance staying in place, i.e. horses carrying you know, effectively more weight than was printed in a race card? I think that was the, big, the, that was the biggest concern for the BHA rather than for us. Uh, but 
rightly so i'm sure i think it's right that we would try to make sure that we uh, the, the weights horses are carrying are as published so i think we'd, we'd have been supportive of that but it wasn't the highest point on our agenda but i think it does cut through to where the actual issue is now been caused at the end of it because probably although a good consultation process was run the consultation itself focused on how we would deal with a weight rise and what a weight rise could look like whereas i think my understanding of it since is that the jockey survey talks about removal of saunas and in exchange for an allowance and that's probably why when we've got to the end of it we all feel like we're speaking a slightly different language to language to each other um, and that there's obviously a degree of heat in that and we've seen a number of jockeys speak very clearly and well about about that right jay Magan, the weights debacle i think we can call it debacle that seems to be what it is now uh, what's your take well we certainly can't call it the weight debate anymore tom because the decision is made really it's no longer a discussion um my take initially is that there was a huge miscommunication it seems to me and anybody who's you know following the story that the jockeys felt they were negotiating to keep the allowance and lose the saunas or lose the allowance and have the saunas back what i thought was there's obviously a number of uh, interesting developments from the initial announcement right so where was the breakdown in communication? Was it with the PGA? Who's responsible for the fact that the jockeys have felt blindsided? And I can completely understand why they feel blindsided because it is not at all what they were expecting. Everybody, I think, was under the understanding that the £3 COVID allowance was always meant to be temporary, but I don't think the jockeys were aware that the saunas were never going to be coming back. It seems like they were being removed even before this negotiation had actually been finalised. Um, it just just to, just to come in there, it seems that the from a conversation we had on the podcast with Dale Gibson a good few months ago now about the upgrading of weighing rooms up and down the country, it seemed as though the the position of, of the jockeys in the PGA was that they were always keen for the saunas to go. They were, they were no longer a necessary part of weighing room life. But I suppose the caveat to that was that the allowance stayed in place. Now, as I understand it, the PJA were lobbying for, I think, I think there was an understanding um, behind closed doors that an allowance per se wasn't a sustainable way of moving forward. Jockeys were going to be have to, have to be, well, horses, sorry, we're going to have to be carrying the weight that was printed in the race card going forward. So I think the PGA were lobbying for a, a £3 rise of the weights, and there are concessions accordingly from both sides, and they've come down at two. From the BHA um, tweet thread yesterday, Jane, I, I think some people might have looked at it and said, oh, okay, well, we are just dealing with a pound here. So is this a big fuss over nothing, or is there more to it than that? It's, it's, we're definitely after overcomplicating something that should have been relatively simple. I, I do think it comes down to the breakdown in communication between the two, especially when you consider, okay, the initial announcement came out, there was, let's be honest, a little bit of uproar, and the thread, a 12-tweet thread was the way the BHA communicated their position i thought even that was a little bit unusual Interesting. Um, yeah. what, what, what did you make of that did you do you think that was that was um i'd be quite 
pro it, um, given the ability that um, it, it gives them to get news out there immediately? What, what, what do you make of that, the BHA revealing news in a long thread? It's effective, but I think it's unprofessional. This is the big, this is the top of racing and, and we're resorting to a 12 thread tweet. Um, I, I, I think a, a link to a statement or a proper uh, statement would have been a little bit better, but look, I'm not, conf I, I know it was effective because everybody was was reading it, including myself as soon as it was released. So um, obviously the two pound weight rise, it, it was agreed um by the industry racing group which obviously includes um the cross-section of industry representatives so the pga had meetings with the bha before all this was was released so you would wonder why the jockeys felt blindsided they obviously did not see this coming um the defense from the bha's point of view is transparency that the public need to know uh that you know the the published weight that the horse is carrying is what the horse is carrying but lest we forget okay just for devil's advocate we need to put out all of the information there's a three pound allowance for the back protector there's a one pound winter allowance for clothing but the i think citing a welfare issue in regard of the horse that the horse is carrying too much weight with the three pound uh, grace for no saunas. I think that's a baseless argument. Um, I think re training racehorses has evolved over time. Veterinary practices have improved. Feeding has improved. All weather gallops. All these different elements have improved for horses. And I think for for a jockey's perspective or from a human perspective, the welfare issue is not with the horse here. Uh, I think it's it's a human welfare issue. So, look, th this isn't really a matter of opinion. Uh, I think the £2 rise is a positive for riders in, in the UK. They obviously feel hard done by with the, with the saunas. £1 sounds like nothing to me and you. It's an awful lot when you don't have it to lose and you can't get it off. So, uh, maybe channels of communication need to be reop reopened. But if I... If I'm asked here now, honestly, I think the BHA have made their decision and I would be very surprised if they changed it. And just to quote some PJ McDonald from an article in the, the Racing Post by Jonathan Harding and, and Charlie Huggins, just to really flesh out exactly what you're saying there. Um, he says, before my COVID weight was probably around 8 8 every day. Um, and, and since then, he's not sweating. So it's 8 11 most days. Uh, once the, the, the weights are, are re-evaluated and the, the two-pound rise comes in, if he's said to do 8-8, he still has to be at 8-8. And if you ask me to do it tomorrow morning, he, he could do it because he, he's, you know, he's nearer 8-10 at the moment. Um, and with that three-pound allowance, it's fine. So there's going to be a serious period of readjustment for a lot of these riders. Um, go on, Jane. No, I do think there's going to be a readjustment anyway. There was always going to have to be a readjustment when people accepted that the £3 allowance was, was meant to be temporary. I just don't think the jockeys realised that it was going to be... Uh, they, they obviously were believed that it was going to be a, a far, far with the weights or have the saunas, an either-or situation. I don't think they thought it was the mediation process.
Right, we've heard from the National Trainers Federation, also from Jane Mang and her thoughts on the process. Time now to hear from Interim Chief Executive at the PJA. He's a busy man at the moment, as expected, Dale Gibson. I spoke to him earlier on, started by asking him if he felt that the weights allowance and the abolition of it was case closed. I'd like to think it isn't It isn't case closed. Um, we're very much... Uh in the process of finding a, a potential solution with the BHA um, and 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 uh, who, who have been involved uh, in this process. Without a shadow of a doubt, during the last 19 months, Jockey's overall health, their mental health, their, their, their physical health has, has definitely improved, um, you know, with the benefits of, of, of that allowance and the benefits of Sauna being out of action. Um, you've got to remember as well that, that jockeys are... are Superbly fit athletes and not a parent of flesh on them, but the same as any sport that's um, combined with a, a weight limit or weight management, um, they have adapted in line with that allowance over the preceding 19 months, as you'd expect any any athlete to. And some may think that, okay, there's this two-pound weight rise, which probably would have happened anyway. We probably should have had one five years ago pre-COVID. Um, if the truth be known, um, where that leads to in the fullness of time, I don't know. I think we have to be sensible in our uh, process with uh, with weight. There will be adjustments over time, and um, we 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 have to keep working with everybody else to realise that people are getting bigger. Uh, we have to be aware of the, the welfare side, the mental health, um, and we're just very keen on, on 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 working with the BHA and others for this allowance to um, remain. It doesn't have to be called a COVID allowance, it could be called health allowance or, or anything, really, Tom. It doesn't really matter what it's called. But this is the part of um, the, um, the announcement that they were just keen on retaining. Um, I can and, see, yeah, I can see Dale, why... So, sorry to jump in, but just on the word allowance. I can see why, perhaps from a BHA perspective, I can see why... Um, the notion of an allowance might not be forever sustainable, i.e. all jockeys carrying different weights, sorry, all horses carrying different weights to those which are printed in a race card. Um, do, do you feel that, and I know you can't speak on behalf of the BHA, but, but do you feel that is potentially their position? And was this something that was ever communicated to jockeys, yeah, ever understood by them? Yeah, the, the, um, the, the, the process of the, uh, of the allowance was... Um, was uh, there was never really a, 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 a time-defined um, end date, you know, brought in with COVID. None of us knew how long COVID was going to last. So wouldn't it have been great if we could turn the clock back 20 months and say, well, it's, you know, it's here about six months or not, nine months or whatever, it might be in 19 months. Um, and it is definitely, definitely, definitely assisted at that uh, human welfare package, uh, for want of a better word, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, and I feel that um, it to carry that additional um, three pounds throughout. It's been the same for all of them. You know, they've been in a novice hurdle or a, or a five furlong flat race and they've carried it, you know, absolutely fine. Um, and we've had it for 19 months and that's an absolute fact. Where the, um, where maybe the, uh, the, 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 process the last couple of weeks hasn't been ideal um you know we uh, as you as you as, as you have mentioned before, and, um, you know paul, paul stood down in in in, in december and um, you know, we've, we've been um uh we've been 
fighting on all fronts on all, all sorts of and um, maybe that maybe that maybe the process of the last couple of weeks could have been slightly um and um you know but we're here where we are now and i feel that we have a opportunity to um try and deliver something um which is uh, which is achievable um but it's uh, it's up to the allowance without a shadow of a doubt um you know whatever we call it wherever we we end up with it i think it's important that um people realize that the, the, the riders that are on here in tom have have evidently adapted they've adapted in line with um, with, with, with that allowance, which was um, which was granted nineteen months ago, um, it just seems an eternity when when we started it, doesn't it? You know, when we when we had that ten weeks of lockdown, it seems like another lifetime ago. Mm. Um, so we're hoping that there is some, uh, we're hoping that there's some progression there. Um, so so in, just um, the, the position from now, Dale, from what you're saying is is effectively you are you are not considering this is done and dusted and, and you at the PGA, PJA are still going to push for the um, for, for the allowance to remain in place for as long as possible. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, who, who knows what it's going to be in two, five years' time? None, none of us really know. Uh, obviously, the, the, the Irish put their weights up just two pounds uh, when this kicked in. They didn't have a they didn't have a house. Lots of other people have done other things, just different weight structures in, in, in different jurisdictions. But obviously, we've got a little bit here. And, and I'll reiterate that we we have to be uh, aware of going uh, um, to be with, with with jockeys in five and ten years' time and what that weight structure is going to be. You know, people are getting bigger, less out of a doubt. Um, but what we've got right now is the riders have got uh, uh, strength with this additional uh, weight allowance their, their welfare is is well looked after with all the other good things that have gone on you know the holidays have been very well received the earlier finish times have been very well received um the one meeting a day has been very well received there's some really good stuff out there tom all under the banner of welfare and for me personally the riders um collectively you know this is their well-being this is something that actually helps make them tick going from meeting a to meeting b um and whether it may be in scotland or down on the south coast you know these the jockeys are doing a lot of miles day in day and this is just something that has fitted in very well to their working day right um Equine anti-doping report from Irish Horse Racing. Thanks ever so much for digging this out, Jane. I didn't know we were going to be covering this in the pod, but um, they've um, released a document for the six months ending 31st of December 2021. This came out yesterday. And it turns out, Jane, that six months was quite a busy period. Everything you expected to be in the document, in the document? Um... Look, to be honest, Tommy came out at around 8.30 last night when I was in the middle of an episode of Scandal. So uh, you, you can draw whatever coincidence you want from that. Well, you, you, um, paused, you paused Scandal immediately and um, went to sat at your desk and, and plowed through the document, surely. Well, I whipped out the highlighter. There are a few uh, interesting figures in here because this has been something... Uh, the IHRB have been under immense pressure for the last 12 or particularly six months um, since their hearings uh, with, in front of the Oireachtas in, in, in the summertime. But I suppose clarity is what we want. And I think it gives this, what, six-page document gives a little bit of clarity in that regard. There's lots of figures, there's lots of numbers, but let's break down what, what is really important. Um, in 2021, the IHRB inspected 141 premises um, on an intelligent-led or an intelligence-led risk-based analysis, uh, 30 of those 141 premises were unlicensed. So in May of 2021, 
the IHRB obtained warrant cards from the Department of Agriculture, Food and Marine. So that gave them unparalleled access to any thoroughbred at any place at any time. So hence the 30 unlicensed premises. Um, of those inspections, one, there was one adverse analytical finding. Um, we don't know what that is, but it is listed here. Um, we know that on race days, so on race days in 2021, there was uh, 3,021 races. Uh, all obviously were tested. And of those 3,021, there was 20 adverse analytical findings, 10 of which are currently uh, under investigation and being finalised. So they're just some numbers to digest. There's, a, there's a quite a lot in the report. It is quite clear and well laid out. Uh, you have even the breakdown of the analysis you have from blood to urine to hair to pre-testing. So pre-race testing was something new as well that was brought in in 2021. Uh, and it's all listed there for us to digest. I thought... Um... I agree. It's a, a, a well presented, well laid out document with a lot of numbers, a lot of facts and figures. I suppose the elephant in the room or in the document, if you like, was the, the lack of specific reference to the, the key story last year and the, the raid on the on the property in County Kildare. That, that, did, I, did you expect there to be any specific reference to that? I didn't because there's not any specific reference to any particular one particular investigation. And uh, Nick and myself mentioned this maybe a fortnight ago that we need um, we need a little bit more clarity on this now the monster Evan raid was back at the beginning of November um, it's obviously ongoing but we would you know prefer if we had a little bit more findings and or a little bit more information from a public perspective honestly when I read this the out of competition uh, inspections of of which there was 141 and then I mentioned there was one an adverse analytical finding my initial reaction was oh is that the one you know you, you you obviously we're all human and we jump to conclusions but we can't because we don't actually have any uh facts to base that on but yeah that that was one thing the, the other thing I I kind of drew from this report was obviously it during the summer, there was recommendations made by the Oireachtas Committee, one of which was to have an independent audit that is being carried out now by Dr. Craig Swan, who we mentioned uh, has ample experience from New South Wales. Um, but there was also a recommendation of ramping up the testing of not only the winners of races, but place horses and random horses in races as well. That isn't mentioned in here. At the time, it was cited as unrealistic, uh, financially unrealistic for the IHRB to do that. And it's not mentioned here either. So that is just something that was maybe uh, an omission that I, I uh, wasn't surprised to not see. We also learned of the two-year-old rankings yesterday, Jane. The Racing Post headline was Godolphin rule the roost as rankings emphasise Bally Doyle's waning influence. Is that fair? I think that's a that's an attention grabbing headline. It certainly would generate a lot of clickbait, but is it news that anybody to anybody that Godolphin had a great year last year and have had a couple of great years in the last couple of years? Either Brian Silas Luxembourg in there and the joint top rated Philly Tenebrism, I don't think there's, you know, an awful lot to be reading into that. I don't think it comes as, as much of a surprise that Native Trail is seven pounds clear of the rest. He was the standout juvenile from last year in the paper he's the eighth consecutive Dewhurst winner to top the table but 
is it interesting that while Native Trail has a rating of 122, his uh, uh, Godolphin predecessor, Pinatubo, was rated 128. That was quite the rating when you think back now and compare the two. Native Trail is four from four. He's big. He, he's, he's very impressive physically. And he's a horse that you think next year could be even better, which is a, a frightening prospect. But with seven horses tied on 115, the second highest rating, Native Trail has cleared the field. Okay, to America now. And um, Nick has more for us on the Naira Bob Baffert hearing. Well, Tom, you might remember on Monday, Lee Mottishead and I teed up the New York Racing Association Naira's hearing uh, versus Bob Baffert. Uh, it has taken some extraordinary twists and turns as we have concluded day three. Natalie Voss has been in every session for the Paulick Report and, and joins me now. Uh, Natalie, let's start with the headline from today, which was some extremely bizarre uh, quasi-courtroom behavior. What, what happened? Well, you know, so today we heard from a, a number of witnesses, both for um, Naira as well as uh, the attorneys for Bob Baffert began their side of the case. Um, and the last witness they called for today was um, Stephen Lewandowski, who uh, is now retired, but he was the uh, state steward for New York. Um, and, you know, initially it seemed uh, like the, the idea for Baffert's attorneys uh, of having him testify was to attest to the fact that Lewandowski really never encountered Bob, didn't have any problems really uh, as far as any sort of rule violations or integrity concerns as far as his time um, working in New York. And then on cross-examination, he was sort of pushed on that a little bit by um, Henry Greenberg, the attorney representing Naira. Um, he was asked about some of the controversy around um, the Justify Belmont stakes wherein Baffert saddled two horses. There was some debate about the ride on um, Restoring Hope, the, the other Baffert horse in that race. Um, the stewards initially evidently didn't look into it, then they did look into it. So you know, Lewandowski was sort of being pushed and pushed about, well, you know, do you recall there was some debate about this? And then you did end up questioning uh, the jockey in that case. And that sort of went okay. And, and then they brought up um, Lewandowski's support of Rick Dutrow, who was ruled off for 10 years, uh, some years ago now. And um, he got very agitated about being asked about that and uh, started shouting back at Greenberg about, you know, this is unfair. What they're doing to Baffert is unfair. What they did to Dutrow is unfair. It just really kind of took some strange and very emotional turns there in the last 15 minutes or so. So would it be fair to say that he he completely lost it? I uh, yeah that that was was my impression. Of course, uh, you can't see somebody's face so well with a mask, but the the volume got very loud there towards the end. I, I mean, that, it's it's pretty extraordinary. And would it be fair to to infer that by by saying that well, you know, Rick Dutro did nothing wrong, and you know, Dutro's standing is not exactly high. He hasn't really done done Baffert's legal team any favors. I do sort of wonder about that. Um, you know, Baffert's attorney, Clark Brewster, sort of took back over at the very end and his sort of, uh, you know, response to what had just happened was that he apologized to Lewandowski for how he was treated by Greenberg um, and said he just felt very bad for Lewandowski for having gone through that. So I, I don't think there's going to be any sort of public facing um, response by Baffert's attorneys to say, oh, that didn't go very well. But uh, it it's hard to imagine that that 
was necessarily helpful. However, you could see that Lewandowski was a very enthusiastic supporter of Baffert. So I guess maybe from that perspective, there's that. I mean, Natalie, it's a curious one to, to those of us watching from the outside, because we believe that this is a case founded on medication use or abuse of, of medication. But given all this extraneous detail, is it just as much about Baffert's overall reputation and the way he's perceived as much as anything else? That certainly seems to me to be Naira's sort of theory with the case. Um, they've been pretty consistent, I would say, in the witnesses that they've presented at kind of saying there's a two-pronged issue here. There's the medication violations, and then there's the public perception of those violations and the fact that there were a number of them in a short amount of time. Um, the other side of that, from what I can tell so far, is kind of a little, it's a little harder for me to follow. It seems to sort of be focused on, well, these were very small amounts of therapeutic medications. It's really not Naira's business to be ruling somebody off like this. Naira is not without conflict uh, is, as far as, you know, uh, board members having an interest in raising. It's been a little bit more scattered, I would say, on the other side as far as, yes, he has a good reputation and this isn't really a big deal and, and this is all kind of just very unfair. Um, whereas I, to me, it's been easier to follow what Naira's been asserting. It's a two-pronged kind of thing. The other side seems to be a little bit more kind of hit here and hit there so far. And, and, and character witnesses. I, I noticed that he, Mike Smith has spoken for, for Bob Baffert today. Yes, Mike Smith and also John Velasquez um, gave pretty similar testimony. They were asked about the success that they had had with Baffert's horses, but also, you know, did they feel safe riding his horses? Did they feel like he took appropriate care of his horses? Did they feel like he was an integrity threat to the sport? And they had nothing but positive things to say about their experiences. Um, I, I suspect you probably need a lie down after today, don't you? <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I at least need some sort of like rest for my hands. I was typing just as fast as I could there at the end. And it was, it was quite something. Natalie, thanks so much. Absolutely. Thank you. It's going to be very interesting to see how that case develops. Um, probably a closing the hearing at the back end of this week. Um, Right, back to Nick now. And one of our interviews with the Godolphin Flying Start team. Well, Tom, continuing our monthly check-in with the Godolphin Flying Starters. This month, it's the turn of Eleanor Wolfe, who, with her fellow trainees, has returned home. Yes, yeah, so us first-year trainees are all um, together in Lexington, Kentucky. We are in our third week of our third phase here in the United States. So we're happy to be here together and happy to get started on our next part of our course. So we're here for six months. And so during our time here, we're going to be covering a lot of different aspects of horse racing and breeding. So far, we've seen all of the Godolphin farms kind of giving us a foundation as to what Godolphin does here in the United States. And we've been able to go see some stallion farms, which is fantastic. So yeah, just trying to get a scope of US racing at the moment. And then throughout the next six months, we'll be covering the sales, going racing at the Keeneland uh, Spring Meet, and then hopefully down the road to the Kentucky Derby. I know that um, everybody on this course tends to want to go off in all sorts of different directions in the industry. Which, which part of the 
industry at the moment is is attracting you most most obviously? Part of the reason I apply for the course and I'm doing the course is trying to figure that out. And as you know, um, it's a two-year course, so there's still so much I don't know. But as of right now, I'm really into the sales side of things. Two weeks ago, we were working the consignment at the Keeneland Sales for Godolphin, and it just reminded me of how much I love the sales. I worked for Eaton Sales for every summer since I was 15. And in terms of in terms of what you've sort of learned from from the experience and the other people that you're with, if you were going to sell the Flying Start to, to to people who who might be thinking about it, how would you do that? If you love horse racing, if you love horses, or if you love breeding. It's a two-year course where you get to travel the world and meet so many amazing people and learn about different industries, you know, on an international level. There's nothing really like it. So if you have a sense of adventure and you want to travel and learn, there's nothing better to do it. And can we expect the release of the next Flying Start podcast, which I've been enjoying very much? Yes, we actually just released it um, this past Friday. Um, We had Samantha Cripps, um, who graduated three years ago. And uh, she works for Lonnie Bloodstock now. And also we had Hallie Hardy on, who was a previous graduate and now is our USA coordinator. Um, Both shared their experiences with the Flying Start and I would definitely give it a listen. Good luck to Eleanor then going forward. Good to hear from her. Um, We're going to turn our attention, that is Jane Mangan and I, to today's racing. And what a big day of racing it is, Jane, at Gorham Park. I know you are headed there. You can give us a tip in here. I presume it's coming from from Gorham Park. Um, Preview the racing if you like as well. And touch on the fact that we're going to have a big crowd in. Great news. Yeah, I'm going to leave leave early for Gorham Park today, Tom, because I expect to be stuck in traffic and I've never been happy to be stuck in traffic but today is one of those days where I shan't complain uh it's the first day of a real big a big day since the lifting of restrictions and it sounds small but I think we're expecting up to 10,000 people at Goran Park today which for their showpiece event would be a bumper crowd um a lot of people would be there to see classical dream he's he's on the shortlist for many a punter for the stairs hurdle. He runs at 205 in the Galmoy hurdle. Um, but the Thiasis Chase itself is one of those, you know, showpiece events on the calendar and outside of a festival. This is a standalone day on a Thursday, you know, on a, a midweek card. It's unusual for Ireland and um, it, it holds its own with any, any race meeting. And it is really, for a National Hunt fan, it should be on the bucket list. Do you know the horse I'm most looking forward to seeing today? Probably, I'm not talking from a betting, betting perspective at all, but I'm really looking forward to seeing what Ecladaria does. Um, I, I, I'm sort of hoping, I think it's really interesting that, that Henry last year was, was willing to thrust him straight into a grade one at Cheltenham. I know he unseated, he looked good at Wexford, and then it was effectively a disaster in the, um, in the Labrooks Trophy. Which horse are you looking forward to seeing, Jane? Well, this is uh, this is a race where a Gold Cup standard horse can win it. We've seen that with on his own. We've seen that with Jack Adam. And you know, going back to listening to my parents' stories, Arkland Flying Bolt winning this race. Number six, Valverde and Hedgehunter are Grand National winners to come out of this race. But I think Iscaria Ten is probably the most attractive prospect for me. If you take his run at uh, Cheltenham in the National Hunt Chase last year, literally, he's just three lengths behind Galvin who's now a Savile's Chase winner and one of the leading fancies for the Cheltenham Gold Cup and Next Destination. That's the standout piece of form for me. So it's Gary Ten. It's going to be my tip for today. Uh, Franco Deport could be the class horse in there. He's a grade one winning novice. He stays well. His last run, okay, he was 
beaten 30 lengths by Gal- Galvin in the Savile's chase, but he turned in in contention with that standard of horse. Um, Eclatterier, as you mentioned, it couldn't couldn't really be any worse. Uh, what happened to Newbury? He he never looked lightly. It 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 didn't look his true running for whatever reason. I expect much better from him today. And of course, the plunge horse all week. The market has been um, talking about Longhouse Poet. Of course, he beat Run Wild Fred in the beginners' chase. Run Wild Fred is now rated 158. Longhouse Poet runs here off 145, so he could be very very well in. So um, full field, full crowds going to be great. Anna 10 is uh, Jane's tip. Best price, 8 to 1 currently for that Thaestes chase. Jane, thank you very much. Go get stuck in traffic. Thank you. Enjoy. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I bet you are. Um, quite right. And um, all the crowd, I'm sure, going to have a, a fabulous day at Gorham Park today, um, which I'm looking forward to covering on, on Racing TV from HQ, of course. Um, that's it from us. That's it from me. We'll be back tomorrow. Lydia Hislop will be my guest. We'll have more um, Pegasus updates for you. And uh, plenty more to discuss, no doubt. Bye for now. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.